I get the honor and privilege of uh, walking through Hebrews chapter 3 together with you guys this morning. And so we're going to look at uh, that passage here in a second. Um, But how many, uh, do we have any any country music fans here? Uh, Pretty, uh, a surprising portion of you. That's good. I've never been a music person myself. Right, I, I, uh, I'll drive around and you know, people have the radio on the car, not me, car's quiet. Uh, I never really, even in high school or you know, when I was a teenager, didn't listen to much music, so I've never been a music guy. But I got my introduction to country music when I was a teenager. And I was cleaning the bakery at Safeway in Tacoma, Washington, and the baker was a big country music fan. And so he always had the radio on and always to the country music station every day. So five days a week, Monday through Friday, from three to five, I'd listen to country music. Um, and, and here's what I learned. Here's, here's the, the, the lesson of country music that at least struck me in my teenage years. There's a lot of lost loves in the world. <clears throat> Apparently it's really hard to keep them around. It's really hard to stick with somebody over the long haul, right? And that's the lesson of country music. So hold on to that thought for a second. And let me ask you another question. Uh, Do we have any people that are like marathon runners in the room? Anyone brave enough? (laughs) Apparently not. We like country music more than we like running around here. All right. Let me put a picture up on the screen. There we go. Anyone know who this is? This is Elliot Kipchoke. One of the greatest uh, marathon runners of all time from Kenya. Uh, He has held the world record, broken his own world record, broken his own world record again. And he held the world record for a long time until last year when a young Kenyan runner broke his world record at the Chicago Marathon. Um, he, He has only lost like two or three marathons he's ever entered. Uh, absolutely crazy. Right. Um, and, and, I look at that and I think, probably along with a lot of you, why in the world would you do that? (laughs) I'm a sprinter myself. I would much prefer to run, you know, 100 meters than run, you know, 26.2 miles. I have a a former student, a pastor friend of mine. He's actually the preacher at Hill City Church, who's currently training for, because he qualified for the Boston Marathon. So he's training right now to run in the Boston Marathon. And he's, you know, documenting it on Instagram. So I see his videos and he's, you know, running, you know, 10 miles here and 20 miles there. And I'm like, dude, I'm out. No way. Right? Like, give me the short distances every day. But here's the reality. Life is definitely more like a marathon than it is like a sprint. True? Um, 100 meters, you know, is nice, but 26.2 miles is hard, and life is more like the 26.2. And certainly the life of faith is more like running a marathon. It's a long, as Eugene Peterson said, a long obedience in the same direction. True? Now, you take that fact, and you combine it with the lesson from country music, and we've got a problem. If, if life, particularly the life of faith, is a long obedience in the same direction, but we're not very good at being loyal and faithful over the long haul, we've got a problem. And that's where Hebrews chapter 3 comes in. It addresses that problem and provides us with a solution. And so let's jump in. Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 7. 
And the way the book of Hebrews works is the author will give some explanation and then he'll apply that, right? Explanation, application, explanation, challenge. Well, we're at one of those kind of uh, application parts of the book of Hebrews. Um, and it's actually application based off of an, an Old Testament passage looking at another Old Testament story. So we begin with a passage that he's going to quote from Psalm 95. Listen to what he says. Hebrews chapter three, verse seven says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95, today, today, because that's the only day we currently have is today. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did when they provoked me. And the they who's provoked him are the Exodus generation. We'll talk about that in a second. As on the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test. Just a little technical note on that for those of you who like technical notes. The word translated trial in this version and test at the beginning of verse nine are the same word. So as they, they tried me or as they tested me, And so uh, they tested God in the wilderness and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. Maybe that's where country music gets the idea, right? They always go astray in their hearts and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my anger, they certainly will not enter my rest. Now that is a long quote from Psalm 95. Psalm 95 begins with worship and ends with this warning that we just read. Uh, So it begins with people worshiping God, but then it warns them that that they need to make sure they stay faithful over the long haul. And it, it does so by looking back at a story from the history of Israel, from the book of Exodus. And so you have, what we really have here is we have a passage of scripture, Hebrews, quoting another passage of scripture, Psalm 95, looking at a story from scripture, all right? And that story is this, Exodus chapter 17. Here's what happened that Psalm 95 is referring to. Uh, Israel has just left Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. They, They are now in the desert south of Israel and they're wandering in the desert and it's hot and they're tired and they're thirsty and they're thinking, I'm not so sure this was a good idea. At least back in Egypt, we had houses. And in East, back, back in Egypt, we had water and we had food. I'm tired of this. I don't like this. And so they come to Moses, who's leading them in the wilderness. And they say to Moses, uh, literally what the text says in Exodus 17 is, they contend with Moses. They bring like a lawsuit against Moses. Um, that's kind of the force of the word. And they say to him, give us water to drink or else we're done with you. And they want to, they want to revolt against Moses. God speaks to Moses because Moses complains to God. And God says, look, we'll give him some water. Do this. Strike this rock with your staff that split the, uh, the Red Sea and we'll send water. And so they do. And Moses names that place provocation and testing. Meribah and Massah in Hebrew. And he names it the two words that show up here. When they provoked me and they tested me. And now Psalm 95 picks that up in in its day, roughly a thousand years before the book of Hebrews, and says to the Israelites of his day, "You, you don't want to be like those guys. Why? 
because the result of their testing God in that moment was God said, they won't enter my rest. They don't get to go to the promised land. They will die in the wilderness because of their disloyalty and their unfaithfulness. And so Psalm 95 says, don't be like them. And the author of Hebrews, now quoting Psalm 95, says to the Christians of his day and us, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't put God to the test. Don't be disloyal. And he goes on and he applies it then to his audience. In fact, the rest of chapter 3 and most of chapter 4 is going to be an application of Psalm 95. So as you listen to the next handful of weeks of sermons, you've got to keep that in mind. We're going to keep looking back at Psalm 95, this passage we just read, as the author of Hebrews keeps quoting lines from it and parts of it in order to apply it to the Hebrews he's writing to and to us. And he begins that application like this in verse 12. He says, take care, watch out, beware, take care, pay attention, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. That's the warning. That's the application that the author of Hebrews draws from Psalm 95. Watch out. Pay attention that your heart doesn't go evil and unbelieving and you fall away from God. Why does he give that warning? Because he knows, just like the author of Psalm 95 knew, it's really hard to be faithful over the long haul. That our hearts are easily swayed. Our hearts are easily pulled away from God. Our hearts are easily distracted by other things. Our hearts are easily frustrated by discomfort and hardship and things that make following Jesus difficult. It's it's easier for us to say, you know what? I would rather just go back to Egypt. I would rather just toss in the towel. I would rather just quit than keep doing this. He knows that about our hearts. And so he says, watch out, pay attention that that doesn't happen to you. And then he goes on in verse 13 and he says, but encourage one another. Uh, that, that is not like the word encouragement can mean comfort, come alongside, put an arm around their shoulder, right? Prop them up when they're tired. Can mean that. It can also mean challenge. Like sometimes you might have to, you know, call somebody out and say, wait, 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 what are you doing? Right? Sometimes you, you have to challenge people. It, it can also mean to kind of like fortify somebody, give them what they need to strengthen them because they're, they're tired and they're worn out. That's the idea of encourage. Encourage one another every day, day after today, right? Every single day, as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another, challenge one another, fortify one another, build each other up, right? So that you won't, be, you won't fall victim to the deceitfulness of sin. Reflect on that phrase with me just a little bit. The, the deceitfulness of sin. The reality is sin promises a lot, but can, but can give very, very little, right? Like, Arrogance promises that you're going to feel good about yourself. But then you fall victim to perpetual insecurity because you're always comparing yourself with somebody else and there's always somebody better. And so you never feel good about yourself and you're always having to try to do more. So you're constantly striving. It promised a lot, but it provided very little, right? Lust promises pleasure. And what it provides really is 
uh, dissatisfaction and usually heartache that goes along with it, right? That's the way sin works. It looks beautiful. It promises a lot and it offers very little. My wife has this uh, egg. It's a hand-painted Chinese egg. It's the most beautiful egg I've ever seen. Uh, And yet, it has nothing in it. It's hollow and it's empty. And that, my friends, is like the deceitfulness of sin. It looks beautiful, looks attractive, but it's hollow and empty and can never deliver on what it promises. And so he says, you've got to encourage one another so that you don't fall victim to that because your hearts are prone in that direction. Your hearts are prone to wander and not be faithful. And then he goes on in verses 14 and 15, and he explains why this is so important. He says, for, that's explaining, for, we have become partakers of Christ. We have become sharers in Jesus. We've become partners with Christ if, if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm until the end. And then he quotes from Psalm 95 again, Walt said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did when they provoked me. Like, what? Do you hear what he's saying? Do you want to be a partaker of Christ? Do you want to receive all that Christ has to offer, right? You want to be his partner and share in all his good gifts and all that he's going to receive as heir of all things. Do you want to be a partaker of that? Well, what he says is you become partakers if, You finish with them. Only those who finish with Christ are partakers of Christ. So you got to finish. You can't quit. You got to reach the finish line. Starting is good. Finishing is better. True? Starting is good. Finishing is better. So wherever you're at, in your current journey of faith, wherever you're at in your walk of faith, the key thing is not that you're on the road now, it's that you gotta get to the finish line then. You gotta finish. Um, And the reality is, we know this. We know that quitting never makes a good story, don't we? A movie where the guy quits in the first 15 minutes of the movie and then that's it. It's It's done, it's over, it's a bad movie. Right? Quitting is not a good story. Because, because I'm a, a guy who prefers sprints, I, I quit track and cross country in high school. Somehow in junior high, uh, the, the, when I was a seventh grader, the track coach at my junior high decided, you're going to run the mile. He just told me. I had never run anything in front of him before. You're going to run the mile. You know what happened? I got pegged now as a distance runner. So when I went from junior high to high school, uh, the the track coach at the high school heard I ran the mile in junior high. I wanted to run sprints. Nope, you're a miler. You're a distance runner. And you need to run cross country too. I didn't want to run the mile. And I didn't want to run cross country, but I tried. Then I grew 10 inches in one year. And my knees were killing me. And now it just made it even more miserable. So I quit. I quit. I had other reasons. They seemed like good reasons to 16-year-old me. I quit. Um, And a few weeks later, a friend of mine that was on the track team came up to me and said, John, everyone in the locker room is calling you a quitter. We don't like quitters, do we? Um, Good, bad, or otherwise. And there are appropriate times where to quit some things because of other things. But when it comes to the life of faith, 
the race with Jesus, quitting is never a good option. You will never enjoy all that Jesus has to offer if you don't make the finish line. If you don't finish, only those who finish with Jesus get to be partakers of Jesus. And so the author says, you got to make it to the end. You got to make it to the finish line. And then he asks in verses 16 through 18, a series of rhetorical questions, a handful of rhetorical questions based on the Exodus story, the Exodus generation, uh, those people who just came out of Egypt. He asked these questions to really drive home the point of how important this is for us to pay attention to. He says this, beginning in verse 16, for who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he, that is God, angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Except to those who were disobedient. Now, what's the point of the questions? The point of the questions is to say, they all heard. They all saw. They weren't outsiders. They were actually part of the congregation. They were part of the people of Israel. They were the people that that saw God part the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. They were the people who saw the, the pillar and the cloud. They were the people who saw God provide manna from heaven. They were the people who saw God's great works during the Exodus. And even though they saw it, they didn't make the finish line because they were disobedient and disloyal and unbelieving. The reality is starting a life of faith doesn't get you to the finish line. It doesn't get you to God's rest. Seeing does not necessarily equal believing because believing is more of a heart issue than a sight issue. Believing is more of a heart issue. Being loyal and faithful to the end is more of a heart issue than even a mind issue and an intellect issue. And the heart in biblical vernacular isn't the seat of emotions, it's the control center of the person. The heart is more akin to what we call the will, the thing that controls you. And the problem was their heart was hardened and it was evil and it was unbelieving and disloyal. And that's the problem. That's the problem. And therefore, even though they were insiders, they never entered his rest because they didn't stay faithful to him till the end. And that's the challenge of this text. And so he says in verse 19, and so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Or maybe it would be better to translate, because we hear the word belief and we immediately think of like a list of things we believe right? But the word belief also means faithful or loyal. Um, They were not able to enter because of unfaithfulness. They were not able to to enter because of disloyalty. They couldn't stay faithful over the long haul. And they quit on God. And the author of Hebrews is afraid his audience is going to quit on Jesus. And he's using this example and this text as a warning to them and to us to say, don't do it. Don't quit. Be faithful to the end. Now, the reality is, we're not very good at that. We have a hard time being loyal. We have a hard time being faithful over the long haul. But 
There is one. There is one who was incredibly faithful. Contrary to the people of the Israel or the Exodus generation, Jesus was faithful. Think, for example, if you will, of Matthew chapter 4 and the temptations in the wilderness. Right? Israel was in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. Jesus has fasted in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus actually quotes from their wilderness experience to rebuff the temptations of the devil because he's intentionally saying, where Israel failed in the wilderness, I will be faithful to God in the wilderness. And so the devil comes to tempt Jesus after fasting for 40 days. And Jesus, does he, does he uh, succumb to the temptation, the test? No, he passes the test. The devil throws temptations at him. He quotes scripture from the wilderness era. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. And the devil comes another temptation. No, I'm not going to do that. And where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus was faithful in the wilderness. There is one. There is one who was perfectly and completely faithful. Whereas the people of God have not always done so well at pleasing God, Jesus was perfectly faithful to God. And therefore, you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust that he'll be faithful to God's purposes and promises in this world and in your life, clear to the end. He is completely trustworthy. So let me just offer to you two habits from this text Two habits that will help, uh, help you be faithful to the end, all right? First habit is this. We see it in the very first verse uh, of where he begins to apply this passage, verse 12. And that has to do with your heart. The first habit is this. Regular heart checks will help you be faithful to the end. Regular heart checks will help you be faithful because the problem is your heart, right? That's what this text shows us over and over again, that the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart, and we need our heart to be loyal and faithful and devoted, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when it's not easy, even when we're tired and hot and hungry and bothered like Israel in the desert. We need to say, you know what? I'm going to be loyal regardless of how I feel. And that requires regular heart checkups. Is our heart becoming hard in any area? That's a question for our heart checkup. Do we detect any cynicism towards God? Do we detect any bitterness towards God? Life hasn't gone the way we wanted. God hasn't shown up the way we wished. And now our heart maybe is shrinking and getting, you know, a little, little part of it's getting a little bit calloused over and hardened and distrustful and unbelieving. Any of that going on? That's part of the heart check. Do I detect any of that? What about the deceitfulness of sin? Am I, am I giving in to any, any sin that's deceiving me and promising and I'm, I'm kind of yielding to it and capitulating? Regular heart check will help us be more faithful to God. And so um, one habit for helping us be faithful to the long haul is check your heart. Check your heart. Not just once, not just twice, but regularly, routinely. Check your heart. Second habit that comes out of this text is encourage one another daily. Encourage one another daily. Verse 13, encourage one another every day, as long as it's still called today. As long as you wake up and guess what? Every tomorrow is a new today. So every day when you wake up, guess what? You know what you need? You need to encourage somebody and they need to encourage you. Daily. Every day. Why? Because the well-encouraged believer 
is much more likely to reach the finish line. The believer who's isolated and alone and by themselves is easy pickings. But the believer who is with others and receiving mutual encouragement and being spurred on in their faith, being challenged, being built up, being strengthened, that believer is much more likely to make it to the finish line. We need the encouragement of each other. You can't do this by yourself. I can't do this by myself, right? The reality is life is more like a marathon, particularly the life of faith. And it, it's hard. It's challenging. It's tiring. There's periods where you, you might want to just, I'm done. I'm out. I can't handle this. And no, no, you wouldn't. You would still call yourself a believer. You might even call yourself a Christian. But you know what? You're not actively following God anymore. Right? That's easier. We're prone to wander. Uh, life, life provides scars and pain and brokenness and heartache. Right? The longer you live, the more you know that's true, right? Uh, And you look back on your life and you're like, and yet, if we encourage each other, we can keep going. I've been there. I know what you're experiencing. I sympathize. Can I pray for you? I'll check in on you. We need that from each other if we're going to make it to the finish line. Because the life is hard and the life of faith particularly. And so... If we're going to be faithful to the finish line, check your heart and encourage each other daily because we desperately need that. Now, when I look around at this room, I don't know when all of you started walking with Jesus. So I don't know where you're at in your walk of faith. I'm pretty suspicious, however, looking around the room, that there's some of you that have been walking with Jesus a long time. And, and, and you're still plugging away and you're still pressing on. And can I say to you, thank you. Thank you. That I commend you for your faith and your faithfulness. Your example is a testimony to those of us who maybe are a little further behind uh, than you. And we're watching and your endurance and your perseverance and you're hanging in there when it would have been easier to quit motivates us to keep going. So thank you. Pretty sure, looking around the room, there's some of you who are fairly early on in life and in the walk of faith. Um, And let me just tell you this, starting is good, but finishing is better. And I could just about guarantee you there's gonna come some times in your life where it's gonna be hard and you're gonna maybe wanna quit where God's gonna seem absent and prayers don't seem to get answered and uh, you don't feel his presence and it doesn't seem fun anymore. And can I say to you, don't quit, don't quit because Jesus walked that road too. And he was faithful to the end. When the lights went out and all went dark, where was God? He was there saving the world as Jesus hung on the cross. So when life gets hard and you feel like quitting, don't quit. And I'm pretty sure there's some of you in the room who are in the middle. And the middle is almost the worst place to be. 
Because at the beginning, you know you're just starting. And when you're at the end, you're like, I can make it just a few more miles, right? But when you're in the middle, it's like everything seems like, I don't know if I can keep going. And you're looking over your shoulder and you're like, I've gone that far and I've got, I don't know how much longer to go. And it's discouraging and it's hard. And so if you're in the messy, uh, ambiguous middle, just remember, if you want to benefit from If you want to have all of Jesus and all that Jesus has, don't quit. Hang in there. If you want to be a participant and a partaker of Jesus, don't give up. Just keep going. Even if it just feels like you're just getting up and putting one foot in front of the other for just another day. As long as it's called the day, keep going. Keep going. There's this interesting passage from John chapter 6. And it really, I think, helps us understand why. Why shouldn't we quit? Why should we keep going when it's hard? And this little passage in John chapter six, I think illustrates it for us. In John chapter six, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. And now there's people that are challenging him, you know, that don't trust him. They have that evil, unbelieving heart. And they want, do a sign. You know, Moses sent bread from heaven, do a sign. And Jesus has been doing lots of signs, right? They just don't wanna believe. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life that came down out of heaven. And then he goes on and gives this really hard teaching in John six. He says, I'm the bread of life. If you eat my flesh and if you drink my blood, you will have eternal life. And he's talking about consuming him, right? Like taking him in, ingesting him. Like, right? If you do that, you'll have eternal life. That's a hard teaching. That doesn't make sense. That's weird, right? And it sounds weird. And so what John six says is, So many of those who had been following him quit following him. They tossed in the towel. They quit. So Jesus turns to the 12, his closest disciples, and he says to them, are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave too? Or are you going to make it to the finish line? And Peter says this, John chapter 6, verse 66, he says, Lord, To whom would we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone have the words that lead us into the experience of life eternal now and forever. And that's why we want to make it to the end. That's why we don't want to quit. Where else would we go? Where else would we go? Because Jesus alone has the words of eternal life.